0: Welcome to the Z Ball Podcast. I'm Zishan Khan. Uh, tonight we have a special edition podcast on the excellent, illustrious 19 year career of the big fundamental Tim Duncan. And uh, joining me today, most of you who all know this guest by now, probably my most uh, recurring guest on this podcast from uh, Richmond Heights, California, diehard Houston Rockets fan, Syed. How are you doing, Syed? Good, how are you, yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, A lot of uh, legends retiring from the NBA this year. Uh, It's going to be a much different league next year and a lot of different storylines. But uh, getting into Tim Duncan, uh, just wanted to get your overall thoughts on his retirement. Uh, Do you think this was the right time for him to ultimately call it quits? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, you could
1: see that he, you know, last couple of years he has really much more of a role player. Um, compared to, you know, his prime. Um, and while he was still, you know, a really good defense, uh, he, he, was, he wasn't providing as much as he was previously, and it was only every uh, every other, you know, game or so where he would flash some of his, like, previous skills. So I think it was the right time for him to go and... I think p- part of his legacy is that you know he was so willing to be a role player, even though he's a main man. Um, and because of that, you know he always sacrificed not only his game but also kind of financially as well to make sure that you know he left his team in a good position.
0: Yeah, definitely, I agree. Uh, I mean, I I I agree with both with both things you said. That it's definitely, I think, the right time for him. Although I think he could have played another season as a kind of role guy and, and helped him defensively, San Antonio. But uh, I think ultimately uh, he, he was, the minutes were lowering and his impact on the game, especially on the offensive side of the ball, was very minimal. And he just couldn't keep up, as you got, everyone saw, against Oklahoma City in the second-round uh, series that they got eliminated in. So uh, just kind of j- going back all the way to... Uh, Tim Duncan's first season, uh, kind of just uh, if you could touch on a little bit the first time you you kind of saw this guy play and kind of when you noticed that he was going to be something special.
1: You know, I I watched him a lot in college, being the Duke-hater that I am. (laughs) Um, So he played for Wake Forest. I loved it when his Wake Forest team would beat Duke in the, uh, you know, in ACC play or, you know, in the ACC tournament. Uh, So, you know, even when he was a freshman at Wake Forest, people knew he was going to be something special because um, I'm sure, as most people know, like Tim Duncan didn't start playing basketball until he was in high school. Um, I think he was 16 years old when he first – came onto campus at, at wake forest and you know even with just a few years of basketball in him he was already someone that um everyone kind of knew would be special and you know by by the time he was a sophomore he was already a superstar so uh you, you could tell right away
0: okay definitely and then yeah as you mentioned yeah tim duncan uh Grew up in the uh, St. Croix, Virgin Islands, uh, and was originally a swimmer. And uh, his uh, sister was actually an Olympic uh, swimmer. And he was going in, do- towards the same route. But ultimately, something led him to basketball. And uh, uh, I'm boy, am I glad that something led him there. Because uh, he had one of the best careers I've ever seen. Definitely the best power forward I've ever seen. And uh, for me, I mean, ultimately, the first time I kind of realized that he was going to be uh, really something was when during the lockout year when the Spurs won their first title just that whole playoff run and especially so against uh, uh, the Lakers who I was uh, a big fan of at that point in time Uh, he just demolished the Lakers and (laughs) he was just running through them uh, and that Spurs team was just a lot to handle for the Lakers and they, they ended up sweeping the Lakers and also pretty much having their way throughout through that whole uh, playoff run with every team they ran up against and then ultimately winning the title in the finals against the New York Knicks that season. So, uh, I mean, but Tim Duncan, uh, right from the start, he was uh, a legitimate superstar-type player. He just he came in and ultimately was one of the best players on the team alongside a Hall of Fame center, David Robinson. And pretty quickly, he probably... In the, the, probably the second season, he probably took over the best player on the team's status and just uh kind of if if you can kind of touch on uh maybe the '99 season the finals because I I know at the time you were uh maybe near New York or kind of uh, had ties to New York so kind of if you could uh, could kind of touch on what uh, what you remember about those finals.
1: Uh, sure. I mean. Uh, I remember that strikeout shortened season. Uh, you know, it was a 50-game season compared to, like, a normal 82-game season, and the Knicks had Allen Houston and Latrell Sprewell as their dynamic duo. And, uh, I remember first round um, it was the best-of-five series then, and that's when um, Allen Houston hit that game-winning shot at the buzzer of Game 5. They barely had mean in round- uh, they, they somehow ended up getting all the way to the finals. And, uh, you know, they, they played the Spurs, who who were the better team. And therefore, kind of the Spurs won. And, um, you know, that, that was kind of more of the end of David Robinson's career. I think he played one more year after that.
0: Um, uh, David Robinson actually played, like, a good amount after that, actually. I think he won another title, actually, with the. Um, Didn't he win the second title with them too? I don't
1: think. I'd have to check up on that.
0: Um, oh, okay, but I the thing but, I remember about that Knicks team was uh, that Marcus Camby really stepped up his game during that playoff run, and uh, also that Patrick Ewing was out. I uh, do you think uh, the Knicks could have uh, maybe won that series if uh, Patrick Ewing was healthy and playing.
1: No way. Uh, But by that time, Patrick Ewing was it was a shell of himself. uh, I don't think that would have helped them at all.
0: Okay, definitely. Uh,
1: Yeah, immediately. Well, when Tim Duncan came to the league, he was a superstar, even in his uh, rookie season. (laughs) Um, he he was, you know, he was a four-year player at, at Wake Forest, and although he was the number one pick overall. Um, it was really because um, David Robinson had missed the whole year prior year, or else the Spurs were a solid team and when David Robinson was healthy. So everyone says
0: how much luck that is for the Spurs. You know, they were consistently one of the better teams uh, in the Western
1: Conference when David Robinson was playing, and... Uh, uh, the one year he got injured they ended up with Tim <laughs> Tim Duncan
0: so. yeah it's just good fortunes for them and uh, a crazy stat I heard the other day about the Spurs franchise uh, throughout their entire uh, history in the NBA I think they've been in the NBA probably something like 40 years or something like that 45 years maybe they've only missed the playoffs five times but, I mean that's just an incredible I mean, stat that I heard the other day and it just goes to show you the, the culture that they build and the culture that they're maintaining and building for the future as well but uh back uh, I, I i just confirmed that david robinson actually was on that second championship team so uh <laughs> he played quite a while after that i mean but i he, although like i said tim duncan definitely was the better player in my opinion probably in that second season and then going forward i mean he just took the reins and it just took the league by storm. I mean, it was just amazing to see. But then uh, in the next couple of years, uh, the Lakers were kind of the talk of the league and the Spurs were really having trouble with them. I mean, in the '01 one conference finals, I don't know if you remember that, uh, they just got, absolutely got demolished by uh, the Lakers in that series. uh what do you think ultimately was the problem for the Spurs in that series? It was pretty relatively the same team that beat the Lakers, I mean, two years earlier, this that swept the Lakers two years earlier. What do you think ultimately was their downfall for that season?
1: In 2001?
0: Uh, yeah, 2001 Western Conference Finals.
1: Yeah, at that point, um, both Tony Parker and Ginobili were pretty young in their careers, and... Uh, it really wasn't until about 2003, 2004, until they started really playing up to their potential, I think. So um, it was mostly about that. And then by, you know, by, by after 1999 actually, to be honest, David Robinson wasn't the elite player that he was before. Um,
0: uh, I agree. Yeah, you're
1: right. He, he did play after, until 2003, but he, he didn't average more than 20 points a game after, like,
0: 1998, so. Yeah, definitely, and then, uh, I mean, going into the 03 season when they had Tony Parker, Ginobili as a super young guy, I think, I believe that was, uh, Parker's second year and, uh, Ginobili's, uh, first year, rookie year, actually, and then they had a bunch of other cast of characters, like Steven Jackson, and... David Robinson old David Robinson and then Rosha Nisterovic and stuff like that, so uh I mean that NBA finals in two thousand three I mean, I don't know if anybody really remembers uh Duncan just because <laughs> he's just a quiet guy, quiet persona he doesn't really he's not really full of himself, always even keel, never really shows emotions too much, but I mean that was an excellent finals performance he had against the Nets, averaging twenty four points seventeen rebounds. Five, uh, five assists and five blocks per game, and leading the Spurs to the 4-2 series win over the Nets and their second uh, championship in franchise history. So, uh, just uh, kind of touch on that Oh, three 3 finals, I mean, because Duncan was absolutely spectacular in that series.
1: Yeah, I think that was really Tim Duncan in his prime, that's when he won his back-to-back MVP award, um, regular season the three-times finals MVP. And that was really, at that point in time, he he was uh, a dominant player on both ends of the court. I think he's the only player in NBA history to be all NBA um, for um, both, both like, all NBA all around and all all NBA defense for his first 13 years of his career. Um, So... He he dominated on, you know, in the low block, in the paint, on both sides of the court. Um, he could hit. Back then, he, you know, I guess the youngsters might not know, because his game's not flashy, but he was super athletic when he was young. Um, you know, he could get by people and he would dunk over people, um, he was much younger. Even though he was still fundamentally sound, because he'd still take that bank shot, you know, he was, he was super athletic when he was young, um. Uh, and he really, man, he was the best player, like defensively, in the NBA, or or one of the top five, you know, defensive players in the NBA for the first ten, fifteen years of his career.
0: I mean, I, I think he's one of the greatest uh, defensive players ever. I mean, I, he's definitely got to be in that top five somewhere, right? With Russell, Hakeem. I mean, I for sure he's got, he's got to be somewhere in there, right? Wouldn't you agree, Scottie Pippen, those guys? Yeah. That,
1: that, Top five stuff tough to call because, like, you know, obviously we didn't see all those other players play, but, um, yeah, you got to put them up there with Jordan, with Scottie Pippen, with the, team. Um, the Those are probably the three best defensive players that I've seen. Uh, and then, obviously, there's tons of others, like Gary Pate, um, Kawhi Leonard nowadays, um, the but he was definitely an elite defender for a long time.
0: Definitely, I agree. And then uh, going back to the O three 3 finals, I mean, in the clincher, game six clincher at home against New Jersey, Tim Duncan goes for 21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and 8 blocks. I mean, that's just, that's what you call an all absolute uh, clutch performance and just dominant performance on both ends like you were mentioning. Just a menace on both ends of the floor and it was just an amazing show to watch. But even though he was not very flashy, and like I said, uh, he's not he was not really one of the popular players in the NBA, only really popular in the San Antonio and so forth, and with the San Antonio Spurs fan base. And, uh, I mean, that's just the persona he built his whole career. I mean, just class act, most humble superstar that I've ever seen in my life. And, I mean, it was just a pleasure to watch, and I think the game is... He's going to be sorely missed by not just the Spurs, but the entire NBA as well. So. Uh, yeah,
1: I agree with
0: that. Yeah, uh, kind of moving on into the next season for Duncan, uh, which was uh, probably <laughs> going to be another championship season for them, if not for <laughs> Derek Fisher's uh, .4 second uh, miracle in, in Game 5 of the Western Conference semis. Uh. But I don't know if... Too many people remember, but before Derek Fisher hit that .4, uh, sh- second shot, Tim Duncan hit an absolutely like unorthodox, incredible, like one-handed, like leaner over Shaq. I don't, I don't know if you remember that too much, and maybe you can uh, touch on that a bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think at that point, uh, everyone knew
1: kind of the, the Spurs and the Lakers were they were the two best teams at that point. At least that's what everyone figured. Um, the Lakers uh, end up winning the title, but that's a different story. But yeah, I remember that game vividly. You know, Duncan hit that ridiculous shot at the top of the key, almost three-point line, off one foot, fading away against Shaq, and you know, point four seconds ago, so everyone thought that was the game winner. Put the Spurs on top, and they're celebrating, and then somehow Manu Ginobili doesn't really d up Derek Fisher and lets him get away a shot. And Derek Fisher
0: hits it. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely incredible to watch. One of the best uh, moments I've ever seen in the NBA, and just I, I the one thing I kind of remember on that just kind of the look on the Spurs players' faces on the the sideline. Did that really happen? And one player in particular I really remember mm-hmm. was Bruce Bowen that season. I mean, or in that game I mean he was just uh, in, utter, in utter shock like most of us were so but I mean yeah, I just, go ahead I, I still remember screaming at the
1: TV I'm like you know we're six, six, and Derek Fisher's is 5'10 how do you let him shoot that
0: <laughs> yeah but I mean what can you do I mean Tim Duncan he gave it all he can got all he had and then then, what do you think uh, ultimately for this first team during uh, Tim Duncan's uh, tenure there? What do you think ultimately held them back from kind of winning back to back championships? They were always like a every other year type of team. What do you think held them back uh, from winning that back to back title?
1: I mean, that year it was, you know, it, it was that Eric Fisher shot. It was the next year they went on to win the title against Detroit, I think. Um,
0: that two thousand five, the oh6 season. That was another kind of unlucky break for them as well. I think they, I believe they are up three in a, a game seven against Dallas in the conference semis, at home. And then uh, Dirk Nowitzki got got fouled on like a on the hand or something, and hit hit like a layup and hit the free throw to send it to overtime, and Dallas ended up winning. And Dallas was actually up three one in that series. And San Antonio was able to force a game seven, but uh yeah, I mean you there's a very good you can make a very good argument that they would have won that year as well. So
1: you know, they were always in it. It's not like it's not like Kobe and the Lakers where the team was literally up and down and missing the playoffs every other year. Tim Duncan's team you he was, consistent, they were in the playoffs every year, and they were in the hunt every year. So you don't want to say that, hey, you know, something was off this year. It's just that, you know, they they were literally just an opportunity or two away. You know what I'm saying?
0: Uh, definitely agree. I mean, I kind of compared them to the uh, the Spurs in the NFL and the the St. Louis Cardinals in the MLB teams that are always <laughs> in the hunt, winning their division. Having a good number of wins every year and then giving themselves a good shot to win the championship pretty much every year. And the Spurs, I mean, through Tim Tim Duncan's career, probably only had two seasons, I believe, where they were eliminated in the first round. It was in 2011 and, uh, I believe, uh, 2015 against the Clippers. So... I can't think of any other season they were eliminated in the first round. So um definitely I uh, like I said um uh, moving on into that Detroit series uh that was an exciting series in 2000 2005 uh Duncan uh, at that point I think was still the best player on the Spurs and definitely one of the best players in the league but at that point you kind of saw uh, Tim De- I mean excuse me Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker rounding into form. So, uh, what do you think ultimately uh, allowed uh, them to kind of uh, blossom and be a regular fixture in the Spurs uh, lineups for the for years to come?
1: Um, you know that they always had a real good concept of team ball, and you know Duncan was never a, a me first type player. Um, I think you know the combination of him and Greg Gregg. Uh, Allowed, you know, Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili to develop. You know, I think Manu was really a huge X factor in his prime. And Tony Parker was in his prime probably the fastest player in the NBA. He could get by anybody. He's he's really a shell of himself at this point. Um, but yeah, that that Detroit is amazing because Detroit probably had the best defensive front court maybe ever with Rashid Wallace and Ben Wallace. Um,
0: and Tayshaun Prince.
1: Yeah, exactly, and Tayshaun Prince. And Tim Duncan still found a way to to kind of dominate Game 7, um, even though, I guess, his field goal percentage wasn't that great. He's the one who, who hit those big shots in the fourth quarter, and he had like 25 points, uh, 10 plus rebounds, and uh, even though the Spurs only had 81 points, um, you know he's, he's still able to drop
0: 25. Yeah, I mean to be honest, that was that was one of the more boring finals. Even though it won seven games, those are just like uh, two hard-nosed defensive teams at the time, and it was just uh, it was just a gritty, like grind, grinded grind-it-out type games, like low-scoring. But uh, ultimately, I think the main difference in that series, the biggest shot probably in that series was uh, Robert Ory in Game 5, hitting the game-winning three. I believe that game went to overtime. Mm -hmm. But uh, definitely you got to give Tim Duncan credit. He won the Finals MVP once again in that season and took home his uh, third championship and also his third Finals MVP. So uh, ultimately, uh, ranking uh, Tim Duncan... And as one of the better players, uh, I, where do you ultimately put him amongst uh, all-power forwards?
1: Um, I think that's pretty easy. I think he, he's, for the most part, a consensus, number one in terms of all-time power forwards.
0: Okay, definitely I agree with that. Uh, he's definitely number one just because of the domination on both ends and just because of he's been the best player on three – championship teams and he's been a part of five championship teams and uh in terms of uh players uh i guess uh in his era or generation this is one that uh laker fans over here in la really uh get mad at and don't really understand why most people put tim duncan ahead of kobe in this conversation but where do you ultimately put a tim duncan and players that in his era or generation?
1: I think just given his longevity, I'd put him number one. I think you could argue Shaq as, as number one because during kind of a five year stretch, Shaq was unstoppable, but it really was only just a few years where I think Tim Duncan dominated like 10 to 12 years. Um, so given that, I, I'd probably put Duncan number one in terms of his era. Um, and then put Shaq, number
0: two. Um, and then Kobe, number three. Alright, definitely, uh, I'd probably go Duncan, number one, for sure. And then, probably just Kobe, number two, just because he was more, he had more longevity, more consistent longevity than Shaq. But that, you could argue either way for that one. You're kind of splitting hairs. But, uh ultimately uh why do why do you think uh laker fans are so uh hard to accept the fact that tim duncan is uh a better all-time player than kobe
1: um they're delusional you know it also depends like if you want to put lebron james in the same era you bump everyone back one spot as well um
0: no, I don't think LeBron... No. I don't think you can really put him in that era.
1: Because,
0: I mean, what, he's, what, seven years apart from Kobe in terms of their debuts? What, like six from Duncan? And, like, probably, like, 11 or something from Shaq or something?
1: Yeah, he, like, he's not in Shaq's era, but you could argue that he's in Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant's era. Uh, he, he played in the finals against Duncan a few times. so it depends like if you want to throw him in that era you bump everyone
0: back one I mean if if you throw him I don't I don't I just I'm just I just think most people don't really think of him as being in that era they kind of think of him like being in like a new type of NBA even though he kind of overlapped with uh, Duncan's prime and a good amount of Kobe's prime as well but I just think kind of people kind of see him as a guy that came into the league in the 2000s and kind of a guy that was still in his prime actually at the tail end of his prime given that but a guy who's still dominant in the league so I don't really think people see him as a being in that area being that Shaq retired what five year, five seasons ago and Duncan and Kobe just retired and LeBron is probably going to play another like five six seasons maybe so, yeah I mean uh, but,
1: but back to the kind of the point Kobe fans or there's other four letter words to, to describe them um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> just we're, we're re- about ready to argue that Kobe had a better career than LeBron after the 60 point game actually many of them were and you know when LeBron was down 3-1 to the finals you saw all those Kobe fans slash some other words um,
0: you can say the word you want to say the word go ahead
1: yeah No, I'll pass on that. But uh they they came out of the woodwork again saying, Oh, look, there's LeBron, that's Kobe, so they're just a little bit delusional.
0: No, but I have uh even even after the the finals ended, i I still have a lot of Kobe fans telling me that Kobe's much better player and they bring up the, the, the championship argument compared to LeBron five to three. So I <laughs> I I just don't I don't I just don't think they're ever gonna to get to the point where they, where you can, you can show them any sort of stat or, some sort of uh, argument that they're just always gonna think that Kobe's, one of the best ever and, he's always gonna be better than LeBron in their eyes and, I don't think there's really much we can do to change that, but.
1: Uh, he he is one of the best ever. He's just
0: not one of the top ten ever. Yeah, yeah, fair enough I mean I have in my Kobe probably in the top 10 but I mean if you want to go let's kind of do a little bit of comparison I mean the kind of the accomplishments of Kobe and Tim Duncan right so they both were part of five championship teams correct Yep. so Tim Duncan was the best player on probably three of the five championship teams would you agree um
1: you could argue four to be honest um. he just but he won three finals MVPs Okay. Do you give him that
0: yeah maybe possibly four but we'll say three for sure
1: because I mean like Andre Iguodala won the finals MVP last year but he's not the best player on the Warriors it just so happened he had a better series so even though Tony Parker had a better series that one year it doesn't mean he was the better player so you could easily argue that um, you know,
0: he—he was probably the best player on four different championship teams, but he did legitimately win three finals. MVPs. Okay, we'll say three, three to four. Either, either way, either way you want to look at it. But, and then we go with Kobe, right? Definitely the best player on two championship teams out of five. So the edge there, I'm—I go Duncan. Uh, you probably go Duncan as well, right? Decidedly. Okay. And then, in terms of regular season MVPs, you go Duncan with two compared to Kobe with one, right? And are we even sure that Kobe should have won in 2008? Yeah, again, it's debatable. Like, uh, these Kobe
1: fans seem to think like he was the best player in the league for 10 years. He might have been the best player in the league one year, literally, maybe one year. Uh, he, he was a top five player for probably about ten years. He was the best player, maybe
0: one year in the league, so, uh. Yeah, I mean, uh given that, I mean Kobe he probably should've won the MVP in two thousand eight, but there probably might have been like an a year here or there somewhere but he where he probably was deserving of it. But uh in terms of like uh being the best player in the league, I probably think from like oh five to oh eight I give him that period. That's like a three-year stretch. I give him that period of being like the best player in the league. Even though he was not on very good, like, good teams. He was on a good team maybe one of those seasons after they acquired Pau Gasol. Which was kind of, a, in my opinion, a big uh, cat- uh, catalyst to, as to why he won the MVP in 2008. Because I don't know if you remember in 2008, Lakers, uh, they were falling quickly in that tight Western Conference race that season where you needed, I think, 50 wins to get the eight seed. And they were, I believe, 5th place. Their young star center, Andrew Bynum, had just gone down with a knee injury and was out the rest of the season. And that was the only reason they made the trade for Paul Gasol. So uh, I kind of believe... I'm of the belief that if they don't make that trade for Paul Gasol, that... The Lakers don't make the playoffs that year so it's kind of kind of tough to give Kobe the MVP when they acquire such a big piece in the middle of a season and although Kobe was the best player definitely on that team but the acquisition of a Gasol really vaulted them into the first position in the Western Conference and I think that's ultimately what the writers decided on to give Kobe the MVP just wanted to get your thoughts on that whole spiel I just said
1: Um, Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was kind of, like you said, he had a couple of really good years, and, you know, he was dropping 50-point games all the time on bad teams. Um, So, you know, I feel like he he kind of got a career award that year. And like you said, it was really because the Lakers ended up um, getting Paul Gasol and having... uh, a good record because of
0: that Um, that he won it alright definitely and then uh, kind of moving into some other like uh, I guess comparisons between them uh, I think the better the better defender although Kobe fans would like to argue on this one as well because Kobe has been selected to more all defensive first teams I think the better defender and I don't even think it's really an argument or a debate is Tim Duncan
1: um. Yeah, I completely agree with
0: that. Um, okay. I don't I... even
1: think it's, it's, it's close, to be honest. Huh? Uh, Kobe. Kobe was a great defender. His first five years in the league. After that, I think he concentrated on scoring much more.
0: Yeah, but I just think uh, some of those uh, oh, selections to the first team. I I don't think he was deserving of all nine of them. I mean, if we're being totally honest with, us, with ourselves, I mean, because
1: no, he, he definitely was not. He definitely was
0: not. And when you look at Duncan, he's probably deserving of eight eight of those. The first team that that he's been selected to, he's been selected to fifteen overall, but eight first team. He he's even like against the Clippers when they played him in two thousand fifteen. He was still like a top level defender. I mean, so he's definitely worthy of those. Would you agree? I, I do. So do you think uh, kind of the flaw in in that defensive first team voting was that the coaches voted on it? Be, or it's kind of based on big – before it was kind of based on big markets and kind of the reputation of the player in them getting the, – being selected to that team? As compared to now, you see, like, guys who aren't very good offensive players on those types of teams. And I feel like now they've kind of gotten it a lot a, – a lot better at the voting and stuff. They're putting the right actual players on there as compared to when Kobe was selected for the bulk of his career.
1: Well, I think that's, that's part of the reason why I got turned around a little bit. Everyone's complaining about how Kobe was kept on being put on the first team even though he wasn't defending at all. Um, and it definitely was a reputational award for Kobe for, for a few years. Um, it was like the gold glove in baseball where that team, that like, reputation where, like, Rafael Palmeiro won a golden glove with, like, 13 games played.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. And then another thing, uh, I don't know how you can really measure this or kind of argue about this, but Kobe fans uh, like to make uh, kind of a big thing about this when they compare him to kind of other players, like Kobe's such a great leader. He's this. You can't. You can't argue that. He's this that. But I kind of tell them. I mean, like, I mean, he. What happened the last three years? What happened that year during? That whole Dwight and Steve Nash disaster. Did his leadership didn't change those years. What What was the ultimate thing that changed? And I, I mean, I I'm just trying to wonder. I mean, how do we how do we kind of measure leadership and. And if you could maybe define it, who do you think was a better leader between Duncan and Kobe? Um,
1: I think it's pretty clear that Tim Duncan. I think it's pretty well known that Kobe was a terrible, 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 terrible team player. And how can he be a great leader when you're a terrible team player? Uh, he's the one who forced Shaq out, literally because he, he wanted it to be his team. Like, he couldn't get along with Shaq. Um, nobody wanted to play with Kobe. That's the reason why they could never get any agent. Um, he ran Dwight out of town, even though Dwight is the head case. Um, and, and, you know, the last two or three years or maybe four or five years of his career where he was not an elite offensive player, still a good offensive player, but not elite. He kept chucking it up to the detriment of his team. And not only that, taking up, like, the largest salary in the league as well. Um, he, he was clearly a me, me, me player his whole career, whereas Tim Duncan, he um, you know, he he came in and he didn't have any issues with David Robinson. Um, he he kind of assimilated into that team. Um, he let Tony Parker and, and Manu Ginobili develop. He he never like he never said anything bad about Tony Parker winning that Finals MVP or how he deserved it, how he was the best player on the team. You he never heard any sort of that talk with the Spurs. And then later in his career, you know. Even in 2010, 2011, when he was still an all-star, elite-level type player, he started taking much less money so, that, so the Spurs could sign other players. Now you can see they have Kawhi Leonard, they have LaMarcus Aldridge, and, and it's due to Tim Duncan kind of sacrificing.
0: Okay, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I mean, I don't really <laughs> analyze leadership too much, but... I've gun to my head. If you had to make me choose, I would probably lean Duncan just because of the all the sacrifice and just how how even keel he was, and just how how much of a teammate, how much of a good teammate he was, and and how much he put his ego aside. I mean, <laughs> like I say all the time, I mean the most humble superstar I've ever seen in the NBA and possibly even in any sport I've ever watched in my life. So. It's just uh, been an honor to watch him play, but kind of a moving on into the ultimate uh, all-time ranks in terms of all-time NBA players. Where do you put Tim Duncan in that in that conversation?
1: Um, probably somewhere at the lower end of the top ten. So uh, you know, I probably agree
0: with Sports Illustrated who have the, have him at ten. Okay, definitely. Uh, I got him at seven, uh, just ahead of uh, Kobe and just behind uh, LeBron James. So uh, let's kind of uh, where do you where do you put Kobe? I think you still have him at twelve, correct? Yeah, probably somewhere in
1: that twelve to fifteen range.
0: Okay, definitely. Uh, and then uh, kind of just um, one more thing about uh, Duncan. I guess the, his entire career. The. 2013 finals, I don't know if you remember in Game 6 when he came out uh, absolutely on fire in that uh, Game 6 I, that they were supposed to clinch, uh, barring that Ray Allen shot, miraculous shot that they had. I think he came out and scored at like 30 points or something in the first half. It was absolutely uh, terrorizing Chris Bosh. So I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on just how that series played out and Duncan's performance in that game
1: uh, I mean going into that series I think everyone thought the big three would kind of dominate that series um, and you know the Spurs kind of had a revival that year after a few years of really not contending and they had game six they They're up what five with 30 seconds to go or something like that
0: yeah i mean they just uh a lot of missed free throws and a lot of uh second chance rebounding rebounding opportunities for miami and then one of the best uh, shooters of all time making probably one of the most incredible shots i've ever seen i don't so it's just i mean super bad luck for them and then but uh ultimately they came back the next year on a mission and they absolutely demolished that miami team and in one of the best offensive shows I've ever seen in NBA Finals. Okay, and then, uh, go ahead.
1: You thought that, you know, after that crushing kind of defeat in 2013, you, you thought, okay, Miami's going to come back. They're going to be really motivated, and Spurs are old. They're not going to come back. And somehow, when they came back and won the title, they actually swatted Miami pretty hard probably so hard that
0: it made LeBron leave my Uh, definitely it was the I think the biggest margin of victory average margin of victory in the NBA Finals history that series so I mean they just put on an absolute show and it was I mean it was just amazing to watch Uh, just the ball movement uh, the three point shooting they shot I mean at a historic rate in that series and it was I mean it was just absolute clinic that, that they put on so uh I guess uh, moving into kind of uh, the latter part of his career uh, or throughout his entire the entirety of his career What are kind of some of your favorite moments from his in- entire career? Um. Although I mean like I said he has quiet persona, class act, not very full of himself Not too popular amongst the national in the national conversation in the NBA, but a superstar player. So I mean, not very flashy. So, d- are there really any moments that you just like that stick out for you?
1: Uh, for for me, it, you know, I still remember him being that young player who is dominant. Um, so him, him in his early first couple of years, um, definitely remember that well. And then I think a couple of moments to stick out. Like you said, the the shot against the Lakers before Derek Fisher's shot stands out. That was a ridiculous shot. But ultimately, they lost that. But also, um, Game 7 of the 2005 it gave my hope that they stopped me as well. Um, really he he kind of carried that team to a win uh, in Game 7.
0: Okay, I definitely... Uh, for me, it probably, I go number five, I probably go with the, uh, I don't know, I don't think people really remember this too much, but uh, it was actually in the 2015 first round playoffs in their series against the Clippers in game five of that series. Uh, I, and I, on a big play down the stretch, Tim Duncan, I mean, just absolutely terrorized Blake Griffin on the defensive end. I mean, just swatted his shit to like to the other side of the the court and Tim Blake Griffin was on the floor and that was probably the big, one of the biggest plays in the game at that point and it propelled them to to take a 3-2 series lead but they ultimately ended up losing se- in seven games to the clippers and also in that seventh game just like uh he's he hasn't really been a that great of a free throw shooter throughout his career maybe like a high 60s or something like that but uh down i think i believe uh maybe like seven seconds to go or something the spurs were down two and he gets fouled and you kind of me being a clipper fan i'm kind of hoping like he's at the line he's one of their worst free throw shooters a big guy i was kind of hoping he missed one you know and then one of my other friends in the room he's like he's he's not gonna miss it's tim duncan come on and i mean as wouldn't you know it Tim he just steps up nonchalant hits both free throws like it's nothing and that's just what he did in his entire career so for but for number four my moment I probably got to go with uh probably uh I don't know like I said many of these moments most people aren't gonna aren't really gonna remember the average fan casual fans not really gonna remember but for me, it's got to be uh, game one of the first round in the 2008 NBA playoffs. They were uh, facing off against the Phoenix Suns. Down three, I believe, with like 10 or 11 seconds to go or something. And uh, this was the year that Phoenix acquired Shaq from Miami, and they were kind of never really able to go for, get over the hump against San Antonio. And you kind of thought this was the year that the, <laughs> Phoenix was going to do it, but... And they're up three, game one, good position. They just got to get one stop. They they take a 1-0 lead and get, grab home court as well. But Tim, the ball gets to Tim Duncan, wide open at the three-point line. And what do you know? I mean, seven-foot center, hits the three-pointer, like <laughs> just like, like he's been doing in his entire career. And the game goes into overtime, and the Spurs end up winning not just that game, but end up sweeping Phoenix in that series. And, uh, so for number three, I'd probably go to the, uh, the series against, against, uh, probably the New Jersey Nets. I mean, just that whole entire series. I mean... The averages are just spectacular. I mean, what some of the best I've ever seen from a big man. 24 points, 17 rebounds, 5 assists, and 5 blocks. Just absolute domination on both ends. And then the, in the game, in the clinching game, 21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and 8 blocks. I mean, just incredible. Incredible to watch. And number two, the game I, I just mentioned recently against uh, the Miami Heat in game six, 2013 finals just uh, absolutely putting on a clinic taking Chris Chris Bosch to school and 13 for 21 in that game 30 points 17 rebounds and but ultimately it was not enough for San Antonio as they had a lot of blunders down the stretch ended up losing that game and ended up losing game 7 as well and then my number one moment the thing i always think about when i when i hear Tim Duncan's name and when I hear, when I think about him playing, is just that 90, 1999 playoff run, even though it wasn't a lockout year, and just that entire playoff run throughout the postseason, averaging 23 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, three blocks a game on 51% from the field, and particularly against the Lakers, who I was a big fan of at the time, 29 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and two blocks a game on 51% from the field. And even more spectacular in the finals against the Knicks, 54% from the field, 27 points a game, 14 rebounds, two and a half assists, and two blocks a game. Just incredible to watch, and just an absolute class act for 19 seasons that we've seen. A lot of sacrifices he made financially, on the court, with his role, with his leadership role, his role in the locker room, just a lot of sacrifices that he made throughout his entire career and that's just what I'll remember him as the big fundamental the most humble superstar I've ever seen and uh, Timmy it's been an absolute pleasure congratulations on an excellent 19 year career and you deserve uh, an absolutely grand retirement any uh, closing thoughts you want to make on Duncan's career side
1: uh, yeah I agree with exactly what you said and I think it's, it's fitting that he, he Unlike some other stars who go out with like a tour, like a retirement tour, I think he, he went out without even a press conference. He, he announced his retirement and Greg Popovich is the one who's yielding. Um, and not only on top of that, but he leaves the Spurs in good shape because of how they treated him and how he treated them back.
0: Uh, definitely. Uh, definitely. it was. It's always a pleasure, Syed. Thank you f- once again for coming on. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, I will be back probably in about two weeks. Probably uh, going to be doing a cricket uh, podcast for Pakistan versus England. But once again, thank you for listening. Uh, and that will probably wrap it up for the NBA for now, unless something crazy happens.